Very good morning to you. Great to see you all here this morning. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The words should miraculously appear behind me. It says this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and a Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Then you've got this kind of little funny bit here where it says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So there's all the ascending and descending and ascending and descending going on. But anyway, goes on to say this in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Just have a quick look at verse 11 again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And what Paul is uh, getting at here, amongst other things, is that it was Christ himself who ordained this thing called the church. He set this thing in place so that all of us, all of God's people, would be equipped for works of service so that the whole body of Christ would be built up. As you probably know, here at South Western Virginia, we are part of an international family of churches called the Vineyard. And to remind us all what that means in practice, what, what equipping the saints for works of service looks like here in the vineyard so that the whole body of Christ may be built up, we're starting a new series this morning uh, called Vineyard 
DNA, or what might be called the distinctives of the vineyard, as we look at who it is that God has called us to be. Now, before we go too much further, and one of the reasons that we've decided to call this series Vineyard DNA rather than Distinctives of the Vineyard is because as an expression of the body of Christ, we must always be distinctive for something, but we, we must never try to be distinctive in comparison to something. We must never try to be distinctive or different in comparison to the rest of the body of Christ. You know, we simply are to be who we are and who it is that God has called us to be. What God has given us here in the vineyard is distinctive for the greater good of the whole church and for the sake of the world that we have been called to serve and to sing to. Okay. So with that as a sort of starting point, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. We've been looking at this a little bit over the last few weeks. Jesus is being quizzed by a hotshot lawyer. They're trying to trick him as always, and this is how he responds. Have a look at verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, as was his wont and what he usually did, the Pharisees got together, which is what they usually did, and one of them, an expert in the law, um, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 28. Verse 16 says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is after the, res uh, the, the resurrection. Uh, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. The Vineyard DNA. If you want to know what we're about as a family of churches, family of vineyard churches, uh, here certainly at Southwest London Vineyard, Matthew 22, also known as the greatest commandment, and Matthew 28, the great commission, uh, pretty much sums it all up. That's what we're about. That's all we're trying to do. From our Sunday gatherings, this Thing here, from our uh, midweek gatherings, our house groups and our small groups, through to all the things that go on at the yard, you know, our, our community space. If you just knock a hole in this wall and found yourself five minutes walk uh, onto the local estate, you'd find a double shop front called The Yard. It's a local community centre where we run things like a Food Bank and Grow Baby and Job Club and Tea and Toast on Tuesday and Exploring Faith and, 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 and a whole bunch of other things. All the way through to uh, the teams, all the people serving on teams. There are people here serving on worship. There are people here at the crack of dawn putting up signs. And there's teams out on Vineyard Kids at the moment and out on youth. And teams all over the place serving you tea and coffee and all of that kind of stuff. There's all the stuff that goes on in Vineyard Kids and youth in the other wing. And all the way through to the many and varied ways in which so many of you are equipping the saints for works of service. 
and are living out your faith day in, day out, across your local communities, at the school gate, or wherever it is that the Lord has put you. All of it, and everything else that we turn our hands to as a church community is all rooted and grounded and established first and foremost in our love for Jesus and a desire to live out the greatest commandment of Matthew 22 and the great commission of Matthew 28. Um, it's pretty simple, really. We are quite simply a people called to love and serve God. We're just a bunch of people who love Jesus. We sing his song, and if there's anyone else who wants to come and sing with us, then they're more than welcome, more than welcome to come and join us. So everything that you're going to hear over the next few weeks are some of the ways in which we believe that God has called us as a vineyard church to do those two central things, Matthew, 28, uh, 20, Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Not because we're better than anyone else. Um, we really are not. It's all because we are just trying to be obedient to the call of God on our lives as this small corner of the body of Christ. Now, some of you are new to the church, which is great. You're incredibly welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us. Some of you have been around a little bit longer. Some of you will have never heard any of the things you're going to hear over the next few weeks before. Some of you will be sick and tired of hearing it. But we're all wanting to get a clearer sense of who it is that God has called us to be in and through this expression of the body of Christ, the Southwest London Vineyard. Now, just in case you weren't aware, Kate, my wonderful wife, uh, we've been part of this church for uh, 30 plus years, probably nearly more, more like 35 than 30. We came as students. Uh, we never got to leave. Uh, we have tried many, many times uh, to leave over the years. Uh, the Lord hasn't allowed us to do that. We've been on the staff team here for more years than I care uh, to remember and we took on the leadership of this church in September 2008 and we stepped into the rather large and gigantic shoes of the very wonderful John and Eleanor Mumford who planted this church back in 1987, the first vineyard church in the UK and actually the first vineyard church um, in Europe. So this church that you are part of has a huge legacy and I'm sure we'll get into some of what that means over the coming weeks. Before uh, we get into this, uh, go too far into this, I just want to clarify a couple of assumptions. And the first is this, is um, ordinary people and extraordinary God. We've already said, um, you know, by looking at vineyard DNA, we are not saying that we are anything special. We are just a bunch of ordinary people committed to following and serving and loving an extraordinary God. We are committed to Christ, his church, and his cause. As I've said, we believe in the great uh, commandment of Matthew 22, expressed through the great commission of Matthew 28. Uh, unlike many churches, we don't have a formal membership. We've talked about it on and off for 100 years and never actually got our act together. Uh, we're just a body of believers who minister. And so membership here is determined by our involvement, by our commitment. And if you were to ask me what that looks like, well, uh, amongst other things, it would look first and foremost uh, by being a passionate pursuer of Jesus. Kate okay, will often uh, talk about living our life before an audience of one. 
Are we passionate pursuers of Jesus? Uh, another thing, as followers of Jesus, we think doing that, being a passionate pursuer of Jesus, looks a bit like this, this very thing, gathering together regularly with your brothers and sisters in Christ on a Sunday. Another thing it looks like is getting involved in a house group. That's a key part of discipleship, just being in a place where you get to know others and other people get to know you as you journey together in faith. It means finding somewhere to serve, uh, being part of the church family here and helping out, whether that's on Vineyard Kids or on Youth or on Setup or Tea or Coffee or whatever it might be. Uh, it means being generous with the resources that God has entrusted into our hands. And an important part of that is expressed through us giving generously financially to the church here so that we can do all the things that God is calling us to do. And lastly, if you've joined from another church, maybe it's because you've recently moved to London or something like that, I don't know, um, obtain the blessing of your previous church. And that's important because we love the whole church. We want there to be good relationships with churches of different flavors. And there's a second assumption that we make that I've called um, homes and hotels. Uh, and it's that we believe that God has called us to be part of a particular part of the body of Christ. Uh, Psalm 68 says, God sets the lonely in families. And our understanding is that we are all here to serve, not to be served. And so questions like, you know, what am I getting out of this? This talk's a little bit duff. I don't think I'm getting much out of this. Or, you know, worship, mm -mm, mm, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure. Tea, a little bit off, a little bit cold. Or, you know, I don't need to be part of a small group. Or I don't have time to serve on a team. I'm far too busy. Or they don't need my money. Or whatever it might be. All of those things are just indicative of a consumer-based faith that you just don't see in the scriptures. Our view of church life is more like being part of a family at home with all of its wonderful dysfunctions, as opposed to being a guest in a hotel. We've all got a role to play. We've all got a part to play. There are no, there's no staff, really. There's, there are no, there's no concierge uh, waiting on us hand and foot. Um, you know, we all just kind of load up the dishwasher and make the beds and hoover around and do those things that we do at home, I hope. Um, you know, hotels are nice for a visit. I'm very partial to four seasons or two. Um, but home is where the heart is. The real question we all need to be asking all the time is what can I give? not what can I get. What can I bring, not what can I take. And to that end, uh, just while we're on it, we're not great fans of sort of pick and mix church hopping. You know, where you go somewhere for a few weeks until you hear something you don't like, you know, like a talk like this one, um, or someone inadvertently steps on your toes, and then you kind of say, right, I'm off, I'm going to try somewhere else. We believe that we are called to be the church and that we need to find out as quickly as we possibly can which part of the body of Christ the Lord would have us serve in. And then we get stuck in and commit to that part of the body of Christ and we bring and use our gifts and talents. We don't mind which part of the body of Christ it is at all. Honestly, this is not about recruitment. That is not the business we are in. We never have been. 
It's all about being part of the body of Christ. And that, sadly, seems to be becoming less and less popular as more and more people seemingly bail on what they call organized uh, religion and instead opt out for something or opt for something uh, individualistic, something that suits them and often doesn't cost them anything at all. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely know the church is by no means uh, perfect. This church is far from perfect. Just stick around here for about 15 minutes. Um, yeah, you've all been here long enough to know that this church is far from perfect already. We have got a long way to go, but the solution to the challenges in the church is not to abandon the church, it's to fight for the church. Ephesians 5 says this, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The church, whether we like it or not, is the bride of Christ, and Jesus is coming back for his bride. John Wesley famously said, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion, and we would wholeheartedly agree. We are made to be the church, and so our job um, is to help us all be church together. And if that's here, fantastic. And if it's not, that's great too. Let's just help you find out which part of the body of Christ that is. And that leads to a third assumption, lots of assumptions this morning, a third assumption, uh, which I've called uh, stews and hallways. Um, and that third assumption is this, we love the whole body of Christ. We love the whole body of Christ. And we see the wider body of Christ as this great big stew. And the vineyard is just one tiny, tiny, teensy, incy, wincy little flavor in that stew. You know, you've got the Anglicans and the Methodists and the Catholics and the Baptists, you know, they're like the meat and the important bits, you know, the big chunky bits, and, 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 I mean, a whole, ho whole host of them. Um, but we're all just ingredients in that stew. And in the vineyard, we're just a little bit of flavoring that the Lord has added to the mix. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in the preface to Mere Christianity. He's trying to assert what orthodoxy is and what are the main and the plain issues that are non-negotiable that we should all be fighting for, things like the incarnation, things like the resurrection, as opposed to those things that really aren't worth going to the stake over, things like, I don't know, hats on Sundays or organs or drums or Norman churches or school halls or whatever it may be. He wrote this, he said this, it, orthodoxy, is more like a hall out of which doors open into several rooms. If I can bring anyone into that hall, I should have done what I attempted. But it is in the rooms, not in the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. And of course, the, the fires and the chairs and the meals are sort of Lewis's uh, description of the second tier, if you like, the separate ecclesiastical traditions. And they are wonderful places to hang out. And each different room has got different meals and different chairs and different fires, and that's okay, because they're all off the hall of orthodoxy. The main hall is mere Christianity, the great tradition which is common 
to all. And this view allows Christians to agree on the essentials, the non-negotiables, but to cling to their differences and to do so with humility and charity. We can put our foot down on the pedal of mere Christianity, the classic consensual tradition of the gospel, but at the same time hold to our particular traditions. As important, yes, but less certain than the first tier. Okay, so the vineyard was started by, um, it's a family of churches. It was started and led by a chap called John Wimber, who some of you uh, may have heard of. He'd been a, a successful musician and uh, when he pitched up at church just after he'd been converted, after he'd met Jesus, after he'd been saved, his first question uh, was, where are all the ashtrays? Um, having read his Bible cover to cover and having fallen in love with Jesus and all that Jesus did, Wimber arrived at church and he was somewhat disappointed by the staid and sort of religious experience of church life. One time famously he said, I gave up drugs for this. All he wanted to know was when do we get to do the stuff that's in the book? So he'd read this and he's like, when will we get to do this? I see all of this, but I don't see us doing it. And the guy, the vicar or whoever it was said, you know, oh yeah, you know, yeah, we... We read about it, and we, uh, we preach about it, and we sing about it, and we give money to it, but we don't do it. It was his passion for both the words and the works of Jesus, the king and the kingdom, that led to the birth of a movement of churches which became known around the world as the Vineyard. And meanwhile, while all that was kind of going on uh, over in uh, California, uh, meanwhile, back in London, sometime around the mid-80s, David Watson, who's the vicar at St. Michael's, uh, St. Michael of Belfry up in York, he was chatting to this young uh, curate, I think at the time, a young chap called John Mumford, uh, about this chap, John Wimber, who was seeing incredible mir miracles happening in his church. And David Watson uh, and John Wimber had become good friends. And so uh, David Watson's urging, John Mumford met up with Wimber on a trip to the US. And he famously, John, John Muffet, if you've come across John and Ali, you know, they're, um, they're fairly respectable. Um, John very politely did, his, you know, what you, you would normally do. He wrote to John Wimber and said, I, you know, I've been told to come and see you uh, by uh, David Watson, so um, if you could uh, schedule an appointment, that would be lovely. I'd love to meet with you. And um, he never heard anything back. And so John Mumford was on the East Coast and he felt like he really ought to go, so he flew over to the West Coast. This is, you know, before mobile phones and before computers or anything like that. And so he, he found a payphone and he tentatively called up the church and office and said, you know, hello, it's... Uh, John Mumford is like, you know, he's like in California with a sort of fold umbrella and a briefcase and a blazer and looking very smart. Um, and he said to the church, you know, he said, I, I think I I'd like to make an appointment to see John Wimber. And he, he did get to see John and, and, and John Wimber. And John Mumford said to him, you know, uh, Mr. Wimber, I'm terribly sorry. I, I did write uh, and ask for an appointment. And Wimber went, yeah, I know, we got the letter. And John was like, that's very rude. He didn't reply, you know, he didn't acknowledge. And Wimber just said, we knew that if it was the Lord, you'd show up. And if it wasn't, you wouldn't. And here you are. So it must be the Lord. Mumford was kind of always a bit thrown by this new approach to everything. He, he was a curate, at the time he was a curate at St. Michael's Chester Square. 
He was, he was tipped, he would never say this, but we can say it of him, he was tipped for a very glittering career in the Church of England um, until the Lord messed up with his life and called him into the vineyard. Um, so John went over um, to California and met uh, John Mumford. He, he, he was actually, I think at that time when he went over to California, he was a curate down at uh, Camford, in Camford in Dorset. Um, Ellie famously tells the story of uh, John Mumford coming back from that, that, um, that trip. And Eleanor was, I think, I mean, I don't know how old James would have been at the time, but she was, uh, she was in the vicarage. And um, a woman who'd been in the church arranging the flowers said, Eleanor, Eleanor, come quickly, come quickly. You must come and see. And Eleanor said, oh, no, that's going on. She said, it's John, it's John. Something's happened to John. So Eleanor went dashing from the vicarage into the church and found John Mumford, freshly returned from his trip to Anaheim Vineyard in California, singing over the congregation. And he was singing, creating me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Take not your presence from me, but just renew a right spirit within me. You're singing over the congregation. Now, John doesn't sing, right? By his own admission, the only thing he can play is a rain stick. Something about the worship in California and that experience of meeting Wimber had so changed him that he found himself singing over the congregation in this way. And uh, they uh, decided they felt like the Lord had spoken to them. And so um, they went and spent 19 months uh, in California with Wimber before coming back to the UK to plant this church in 1987. And their church planting team uh, ran to four of them. There was John and Ellie and their two boys, James and Marcus. Uh, James, who was six, and Marcus, who was six months. Uh, as they've always said, hardly a threat. But the Lord was gracious to them, and they started a, a small group uh, in a friend's flat um, out near Notting, uh, Shepherd's Bush. Uh, and on the first week, there were nine of them. And then on the second week, there were eight. So uh, not an auspicious start. But as I said, the Lord was gracious to them. And having been told by the Lord that under no circumstances were they to recruit anyone, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And people came from far and wide. And so after running three house groups on consecutive nights from their home in Merton Park, uh, they then planted out the fourth house group, which was led by John and Debbie Wright, who used to be on the staff here and now uh, lead the Trent Vineyard in Nottingham and now oversee uh, the vineyard churches in the UK an island. And again, they continued to grow uh, as everyone, everyone began missing meeting together because they'd all been meeting together midweek and then they couldn't do that anymore. And so they said, we miss being with everyone, so let's come together on a Sunday. Uh, so they rented the upstairs of a, a pretty grubby pub called the Emma Hamilton, which has, uh, for obvious reasons, been demolished uh, since uh, for monthly celebrations of worship, fellowship, ministry training and sending. The Spirit of God came and was in their midst and as the church continued to grow it moved to a school and then another school and eventually came here in 1992 to what was then Elliot School when this building trust me wasn't anywhere near as glamorous and as glorious as this <laughs> you think you got it bad <laughs> Oh boy 1992 that was an interesting year and 35 years later here we all are and one of the things that's really important to remember when you come along to be a part of this church 
is that we're all stepping into a rich history and a legacy. It doesn't look like it. You know, it may not look like it. When you look around this room on a Sunday morning, uh, you kind of think, yeah, you know, fair enough. But never forget that you are part of a church that has birthed a movement in this nation. While it may not look like it, it's through the faithfulness and the sacrifice of those who've been part of this church here for years. Some of you are sitting in, sitting in this room. And those who have gone before us, that 17 churches have been planted across the UK and Ireland, many of which have now gone on to plant churches themselves, some of which have gone on to plant other churches. So we're kind of like a, a grandmother church. Well, yes, even, great, whatever. Um, worship, worship that has literally impacted the world was written here and recorded in this very room. Uh, there was that album, Come Now Is The Time. It was recorded here. I can't remember what year it was. Can you remember what year it was? Sometime. This room was filled. We were up at about, there were probably about a thousand people in here. And John and Eleanor told us to steward, we were on the staff team, to steward the balcony because we thought the balcony was going to fall off the wall. Um, it was so full with people. The presence of God was just palpable in, the, in our midst. Literally hundreds, if not thousands, of godly men and women from all over the world have come through these doors, many having just come to faith, and served here and given of their time, given of their energy and money. They've been trained and equipped for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up. And then they've been sent out from here, some to plant churches, yes, but most just to go wherever it was the Lord sent them, either here or abroad, to see the kingdom of God extended in their places of work or wherever it was the Lord sent them. There's a chap here this morning came from, comes from South Africa. He was here 20 odd years ago and is now visiting. It'd be interesting to hear what the Lord has been doing in and through his life uh, since being here for three or four years. So we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us but we remain faithful to the mandate the Lord has given us as we seek to live out the greatest commandment through the Great Commission. And while many of us have been here for however many years, trying as best as we possibly can to faithfully serve Jesus, that the Lord is not done with us yet. There are souls to be saved. There are people to be rescued. There are lives to be transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. And over these coming weeks, we plan to look at the ways in which we, as the Southwest London Vineyard, attempt continue to do all and be all that God has called us to. Right back at the very beginning of this church, at one of the very first house groups in John and Ellie's sitting room, Ellie tells the story of how she had a, a kind of an open vision from the Lord. And it was the, the picture she had was of Jesus uh, surrounded by all of his disciples um, and a whole host, a whole gang of people. And they were all chatting and laughing and enjoying being together and they're just enjoying being in each other's company. And if you know Ellie, uh, you'll know her to be a party person. She's never one to miss out on a party. And as soon as she sort of looked onto this scene, she described how she felt like she was missing out. Here was Jesus and all his crew and they were having a blast and she kind of wasn't part of it. And then in her mind's eye, she saw Jesus uh, turn to her and she saw him say this 
All I'm asking you to do is to mimic me. All I'm asking you to do is to mimic me. And in a nutshell, that's all he's asking all of us. All I'm asking you to do is to mimic me, to mimic Jesus. And as best we can, to the very best of our ability, in all humility, um, that's all we have to do. Why don't you stand and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together.